How's it going, podcast fam? It's your boy, Jason Craig, a.k.a. the Friendly Neighborhood Dreadhead. And I'm here today with another episode of my interview series. And today I have a very special guest. I am truly honored. He is a writer, artist, producer, and podcaster his own, and also a speaker, Mr. Samuel Vera. How you doing, sir? I'm good. How you doing? I'm doing great. You do not know how much of an honor it is after reading your background. I am truly honored to interview you today, sir. Oh, thanks. Well, yeah, I'm looking forward to this interview. <laughs> All right. So um tell the pe- so just tell the people the basics about you, like where you're from and whatnot. Okay. Uh basically I was born in Brooklyn, raised in Queens, uh, moved to Jersey when I got married, and then now I'm in Texas. I just I actually bit moved to Texas last August. So um, uh, I was on the East Coast the majority of my life. And um, um, I started out as in music um, during uh, doing rap and then uh, transitioned into creating my own independent comic book company, Crazy Comics, back in the early uh, 2000s. And um, I've been then and I created Cast the Crazy podcast in about 05. And then after about 2008, I left the industry and I focused on family and the corporate world. And um, then I decided to come back um, in 2019 and relaunch Catch the Craze podcast and real, and go after my passion and finish what I started with. There's nail in my toilet. Okay. So you've been at this for a while now. Yeah. So which part of Texas do you stay in? I'm in the, the Dallas area, Dallas County. Oh, wow. We're actually not that far from each other. Oh, yeah. Where are you, where are you from? <laughs> uh, well, um, I'm from Minnesota, 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 and I was born and I was uh, raised in Georgia, and I would spend my summers in Chicago. So, yeah. And then I moved here in 2017, and I currently stay in Denton County as of right now. Nice. Yeah, man. So, yeah. So, this, so where did you get the idea for there's an alien in my toilet? Uh, so what happened was, um, you know, it was in the height of when we launched Crazy Comics. We, you know, we were getting a lot of attention and a newspaper approached us and, um, and asked and said, did we have a sci-fi comic strip uh, uh, that because uh, they would publish it in the newspaper. So um, I was in the Lincoln Tunnel driving and then bam. And all of a sudden, a messenger came into my head and said, hi, I'm Duty from Uranus. And, and, that's, <laughs> how we, and, and that's how it started. I, I drove to IHOP, met my buddies at, at IHOP. And um, I said, look, I got the next thing. And they're like, what? I was like, there's an alien in my toilet. His name is Duty. He's from Uranus. They thought I was crazy. They thought I lost my mind. It's like, oh, you're nuts. And that's how it started. It, it was just he just came to me. Um, he flew all the way from Uranus to plant his uh, idea in my head. And uh, it was uh, just a ball of laughs ever since. <laughs> all right. Okay. So um, what made you get into your passions? Like the things that you're passionate about, like what drove you to go to start striving for your passions? Um, you know, my, my mom raised four kids on her own. And, um, but my mom, you know, she raising four kids in uh, Jamaica, Queens is not easy. And um, especially when she didn't have uh, 
in high school education, the, the most she had was ninth grade. So, but she always um, encouraged creativity. Um, and she always encouraged um, the individuality. Like, find yourself, you have to explore, you have to make mistakes, and that's the only way you're going to learn. And so she, one of the things um, when I was a kid, I used to look forward to, like every other Friday, my mom would come home um, when I was a kid, and she'd bring me a Star Wars action figure. My, 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 my brother, Eddie, a Star Wars action we, We'd get the same one, so we wouldn't fight over it. And then she'd give my brother, um, he collected baseball cards, and my sister, something from Barbie. And uh, it was every other Fridays. We always looked forward to that. And that started the, the whole thing. And then um, uh, uh, I remember seeing there was a show called Too Close for Comfort. So I was a big Fraggle Rock fan, big Star Wars fan, you know, um, uh, the Dark Crystal, all that stuff. And, and I was always inspired by that. But then when I saw Too Close for Comfort, the father was a cartoonist, a comic strip uh, artist. And he, had, uh, he worked for a newspaper. He was doing a comic strip. And that's when I realized, wait, you can do this for a living? And it was a comic called Cosmic Cow. And I was like, wait, this is, I, you can actually do this. That was the, the beginning of me wanting to try to pursue an artistic career because I would draw here and there. And I remember what got me into drawing was my brother drawing three monkeys in a barrel. And I saw him draw that and I said, I want to do that, you know? And that's, so I would watch TV and, that, you know, at that time we had the, VHSs, and uh, so I would pause a scene, and I would draw what I would see, or I would take my GI Joe action, fi action figures, and I would draw, I would stage them, and I start drawing them, um, and that's how I did it. And uh, and then I wanted to create my own comic strip, and uh, my own, and it was called um, Cosmic Gorf, and that's basically the beginning of the idea. But then I brought, so then I got into music. Because, you know, in the neighborhood, you know, people would, you know, sing on the block or, or freestyle on the block or whatever. And, and this producer said, hey, you know, you know, ever consider doing music. So we went to the studio and it was originally going to be club music. And but when I would test when, you know, the, 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 the engineers were like, yeah, we need to test the audios. I would always freestyle. And so they said uh, then the producers like, why are you wasting your time with um, club music? It's a fad. It's going to go away. But, you know, hip hop gonna, is going to be here to stay. And that's how that started. And so I went in that direction and um, we created Crazy Skills Productions. And that was the beginning of my world domination plan when I was like, all right, I want to create Crazy Media Group, and which I currently own um, Crazy Media Group. And I said, I want divisions. I want Crazy Comics, Crazy Skills Productions, Catch the Craze. That was how it started. And, uh, and it was with that seed. So... Crazy, you know, I left music because of um, a lot of uh, bad things happened. And so I decided to walk away. I lost my mom. My friend got shot. It was just a bad, bad time. And so I just walked away from everything. And then I decided to go after comics. And that's how I got into comics. I, cre I, I branded my logo. I got a trademark. And I got a couple of guys together. And we started our first endeavor into comics. Man, that is such an amazing story. And I'm glad that you came out on top after all those things that happened to you because it's hard to lose loved ones. Yeah, and, my mom and, was everything. Yeah, man. And also, shout out to your moms for embrace for having wanting you to embrace your creativity because I think that's not like you don't see many parents let their kids embrace their creativity and strive for goals and creative fields. 
because I tell people all the time, um, artists, like artists, like creatives, like artists and writers and all that, they're just as important as doctors and these other these other um, professions out here because I'll tell people all the time, create to, like creative things has always helped me find a better space in my life, whether I'm younger, older, because you can find motivation and inspiration through um, other forms of media. So I'm glad that you actually, your mom actually pushed you to embrace your creativity and you made something out that creativity. So kudos to your moms and may she rest in peace. I am, I am very moved by that story. Thank you. I mean, she, uh, she, what I, what impressed me about her, I mean, my mom walked me through everything in life. I mean, she told me about the birds and the bees, all these other things, you know, and uh, so, cause I didn't have a dad and uh, her boyfriend told me, um, cause I was also um, one that always wanted to prove people wrong. And he said, Oh, you'll never amount to a real artist because all you do is copy what you see. So I stormed off, went into, I had a little, um, a hiding place underneath the house where I created like my little um, clubhouse. And I went in there and I said, you know what? I'm going to start, I'm going to force the creativity to come from my head and I'm going to prove this man wrong. And uh, that was my, that was my motivation to just start creating my own characters. And my, but my mom, um, she would always start off a conversation um, this way. She would say, I'm going to give you my opinion and I'm going to tell you why I have that opinion. And, but at the end of the day, you have to make the decision. So you take whatever it is and you take the time to think about it and, and whatever you come to, I won't, I won't uh, stand in the way. And that was, and so every time she did that, she, what she didn't realize was that she planted this, my conscience. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to disappoint my mom. You know, so <laughs> I would always do the right thing because I always had that face and her message in the back of my head where she, she provided the, the, the red flags. And when you're a kid, most kids, like I had a lot of friends who were stubborn, never wanted to listen to their parents. My, you know, your parents take the time to provide you with those, those protective measures that we sometimes when you're a kid, you're too stubborn to see. I recognized it for what it was because of the way the words that she chose when she spoke to me. You right. know, she, it wasn't, it was non-threatening. It was non-invasive. It was always from a point of, I was, she saw me as a human being, not just her child. And she said, I'm going to treat you as such and you make the decision and, and whatever happens, you let me know what you learn from it. And that, and I would walk away. I'm like, damn, I'm not going to do that now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's why I went, we know, right. Instead of going left. Okay. Man, that's, that, that's cool. So now we're going to go back a little bit. So tell me um, what your childhood was like. I know, you, I know we got business pieces, but tell me a little bit more detail of how your childhood was. Man, uh, I, one, I had an active imagination. And I loved adventure. Um, you would find me in construction sites playing King of the Hill. <laughs> you, would, you, would find me, you would find me, like I, my mom didn't know half the things I got myself into. You would find me in like the swamp areas. And, you know, we would, you know, I remember crossing this pond. My sister says, don't do it. And um, I was probably in the fourth grade and we, me and my buddies, we're like, let's do it. And uh, next thing you know, we're under ice, the whole thing cracked and we're underneath. Um, we would uh, jump from building to building. We would play chicken with the trains. I mean, we did some crazy knucklehead stuff when we were kids. I mean, we would create 
we would put a ramp at the bottom of a hill. And between the ramp, um, we would put, um, uh, uh, we would make a fire, right? So we would go to the top of the hill, race on our BMX bikes, hit the ramp over the fire. Um, we would do some crazy stuff. And I remember, I would, I mean, I remember coming home with a cracked head. I came home with split knees. <laughs> my, 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 mom, my poor mom, but I put it through. Uh, yeah, but uh, I loved adventure. I thought I was Superman. I thought, you know, nothing can happen to me. And I was willing to try everything. And uh, I, I love looking at the stars. You know, my uncle um, worked um, creating um, weapons, you know, um, and uh, engineering. And um, so he would, he was a big science buff. And so we would sit on the, on the, on the garage roof and he had his uh, telescope and he would tell me about the stars and he would talk about UFOs. And, um, and that's, my mind was always on the what if, what's possible. Uh, so as a kid, I was just that, kid i was shy in school i was quiet in school but once i was out the beast was out it was over once the class once that bell rang <laughs> it was on <laughs> man we might have to we might have to make the samuel vera story because you seem like you got some very interesting thing that could be made into a tv show <laughs> or a movie <laughs> oh man so okay so i was reading your bio and i gotta ask what happened with Kids WB? Because I saw that you almost secured a show on Kids WB. Yeah. So I got to ask, what happened? So, um, so what? I'll, I'll tell you how we got to them, and then what happened. So what? What I did was, <clears throat> there's the licensing expo is an annual event where all of the big acquisitions teams, the buyers, the licensing companies, you know, the manufacturers, they go there. They're looking for the next big brand, and also that's where they also present. The, the next brands that are coming out and the, the new toys and all that other stuff. So <clears throat> me, I was young. And um, so I was like, you know, uh, they gave me a credit card. It was a platinum credit card and I charged it and went to, to the expo and I got a booth, which is crazy. Um, I don't know how my wife allowed me to do it, but <laughs> so we, you know, and so we went over there. So I had a big booth and I, you know, and you know, the expo, they give you access to all this database. So you're able to create meetings and, and, and send invitations to executives and all that stuff. So it created a buzz. And so all these people were, were interested in what we were doing. And so some of them were just trying to rob us blind, you know, like, you know, we want to own it completely. We'll give you 2% and all this other stuff. But then uh, we met Circle of Confusion. And Circle of Confusion is a management company that they you know they manage the Wachowski brothers, uh, Robert Kirkman, The Walking Dead. They, I mean, you name it, the who's who, they they're the ones who've uh, negotiated those deals. They took us under their wing, and that's how we got with the WB. It was Kids WB, it was Disney, and Nick, um, I think it was Nickelodeon. And then what happened was <clears throat> during that time, uh, so every year between January and February. Every corporation starts cleaning house, restructuring, and the whole bit. And that's what happened. They changed leadership teams, um, and they restructured, and they eliminated. That's when they decided to get rid of Kids WB, you know, um, and um, go a different route. And um, so whatever is on the table with those previous executives gets trashed because the new team wants to prove something, so they want to go out and bring in their own, own clients. Or their right. own, you know, own, and, and that's what happened. So we were so close. Um, you know, we got through the pitch, we got through the treatment, um, you know, and then all of a sudden went dark and uh, broke my heart. 
Dang, man. Well, you know, that opportunity slip by, but there's always more opportunity. So, yeah, man, that's that is so crazy. You were just you were basically a hair away yeah. from securing the show. And you said that you have that you have your own comic, your own um, comic book brand. Tell us a little bit about that. It's crazy comics was my first um, stint into producing my own comics and publishing my own comics. Um, and so uh, when I first launched crazy comics, the first group of guys that I was working with, um, it didn't pan out. And then, so I was going to the, I went to the school of visual arts for continuing education. Um, and I was taking life drawing classes and I met my buddy, George Medina there. And, um, um, we were in a life drawing classes and, you know, and it was a male model in the front. So I got tired of looking at the front. So I looked up at George. I was like, yeah, George. I was like, Hey, my name is Sam. What's your name? <laughs> and we started talking and he had a comic booklet and, and it was like a wonder duck. And I was like, I knew I was using, you know, 11 by 17 Bristol boards. I was using all the, 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 the tools that he wasn't introduced to. So I introduced him to that. I told him, look, I have crazy comics. You don't, you want to come aboard? He's like, sure. So, you know, put together a small team and then um, what I, I put all my money into producing the comic. I didn't have money for conventions. So a buddy of mine knew the convention promoter for the Big Apple Comic Con, which is Michael Carbonero, and he runs uh, six events a year. And so we went to the Big Apple. I went to go meet Michael Carbonero. And um, I was like, hey, and he's like um, Nick Jagger with ADD to the hundredth degree. He'll, he'll look at you, you'll tell him your name and then he'll forget your name. He goes, what's your name again? Who are you? Did I, have you met before? I was like, we just talked, right? So and he, did that, he did that every single time, right? So um, I was like, hi, my name is Sam, blah, blah, blah. He goes, what do you want? I said, I, I'm looking for a table. He goes, of course, this much, go see that guy. I said, no, 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 you don't understand. I said, I, I, I want a table. He's like, he goes, we don't give tables free. And so I pulled out a poster that I did for the Big Apple Comic Con. And I showed it to him. He's like, wait, that's my show. I said, yes. He goes, who did that? I said, I did. He goes, you did that? I said, yes. He goes, can you do it again? I said, sure. He goes, if you do that for me for every show, you'll have a free table. And that's how it. Ha that's how I got into the Big Apple. So we. So then I had another buddy of mine um, who was, um, we were paying under the table to get high gloss, full color books. The, the, the caveat was he'd give it to us um, not bounded or staples, just flat stacks. So I had to go and buy one of those long professional staplers and we would sit on my living room floor, stapling and folding all the books. And then we would put dictionaries on top of them to keep them flat. Um, and, uh, and then we would bag them and board them. So we had that, we created a banner. We got, we got team jerseys. So we, we looked like a baseball team, the whole bit. And we, we, we debuted at the Big Apple Comic Con and we sold out and it was crazy. Because it was like, who are these guys? They're not image. They're not where they came from. You know, they got full gloss. You know how expensive full gloss is? They didn't understand <laughs> that I was paying pennies for this stuff, right? They didn't understand that I got a free table. No one knew that. They didn't have to know that. They just that we were there. And so, because my mom always said, it's about the presentation first, right? right. And so, we want, I want to make sure that people noticed us. And that's what happened. I mean, Brian Polito, um, who does Lady Death, he came over and he had a conversation with us and, and giving us his advice on how to not um, be a statistic. Um, and he, he didn't have to do that, but he was like, you guys are making a buzz, blah, blah, blah. And so I just started asking him questions and then we just, then the, the big Apple was so impressed by us that they gave us featured spots at every con where we had the right location, 
um, with the best traffic. Um, and that's how it started. And then we just started touring across the U.S. We were doing about 16, 18 shows a year. It was crazy. Um, cool. And yes, we were in Seattle, Chicago, Pittsburgh, uh, San Diego. I mean, we were everywhere. And um, um, and we started building a bus. And, that, and so then television got noticed of us. Um, radio got noticed, uh, noticed us. Newspapers. So we got features in newspapers. I was on Fox News and CBS. Um, and it was just through the hustle. Because one of the other things they also did, because it was, you know, grassroots, old school way of doing things. I would spend my weekends um, putting together press kits. So I put samples of my books and a press kit. In, and I would and it would be like a good two pound package. And I would send five packages in the mail every week. I would just go through the database and find out who's the editor of the New York Times and I, who, who does um, literature. And I would go and I would send it to him. Who's the editor of this place? You know, who's this person? Who's the who's the critic here? And I would just send five packages a week. It was it was costing me money, and and I said if I got one news channel to get me on there, that's how I got on American Latino TV, which is international, um, uh, and that's how that happened. And it was just through the hustle. And we I used to distribute the books. We would drive to the comic stores and distribute the books ourselves. Oh wow, man. <laughs> Dang, that is. <laughs> it was the hustle. <laughs> I about to say you were you were natural born hustler, man. I can give you that natural born hustler. So, okay, so your what is your end goal for yourself? Like when you at the end of your life, what is the end goal? My end goal is to be able to create a character that will last beyond me okay you know, well, you... It, you know it's like what what charles Schultz did with snoopy you know um it's with the peanuts it's you know what jim henson did with the muppets it's something that's going to last beyond me even if it's um you know i just think you know when you, if you can see kids having fun or people just laughing reading your stuff and that's for me we'll say you know what same it was worth all that work and all that stress. It was worth it. Okay. Well, I mean, hey, you, hey, you making, hey, you are, you on that path, man. I got faith in you. <laughs> Thanks. So, okay. On a scale from one to 10, how hard do you, how hard was it to pay the, um, pay the road for yourself to where you're at now on a scale from one to 10? How hard was it? Um, it was, it was on another level because I didn't have a mentor. So I, you know, and I think mentors are huge. And when I came into comics, I came in with just blind ambition. Um, you know, no failure mentality. You're not going to tell me any different. What do you mean? There's rules. I don't care about those rules. That was my mindset. It's like, people like, what are you, what are you doing? Talk, you know, wasting your money, sending stuff to the newspapers. And I was like, well, why can't you? Or well, what do you do? You know, so I was one of the first independents that was on radio everywhere um, because I was contacting them directly. And so for me, it was, but it was a lot of hard work because I made a lot of mistakes. Oh, so many mistakes. You know, the, you know, the importance of having an editor, you know, um, you know, you know, we, you print hundreds of books and you realize, oh, I got typos. Oh no, what the hell? Hopefully nobody notices, right? Those kind of things. And then, you know, um, Overreaching. Sometimes you know you you you're spending more than you need to. Um, not being able to, to not being able to anticipate um, demand 
uh, and, uh, you know, over packing, like we would do conventions and I mean, we, we would have the, the money that was burned on just shipping stuff and the amount of luggage and stuff. And, you know, we wouldn't sell, we would sell maybe 20% of what we traveled with, not really understanding the market in those locations. And, um, so I think all that, all those mistakes that I made, um, help me now to really, um, approach everything tactically. Um, you know, so for me, it's like, I will go to a convention I've never been to. I will go as a spectator to assess the audience, to look what's moving, what's not moving, see what the crowd is into, what they're not into, to see if that what I have to offer is going to fit in that environment before I decide to invest my heart or money in into an area that I might I potentially might lose. You know, because coming back after a 10-year hiatus, I have to rebrand myself and I have to, you know, you know, get uh, familiar with a new world um, uh, and, and technology where people have a limited attention span. And so how do you grab that attention in that small time? So all the mistakes I've made early on helped me for my comeback um, to be more strategic, tactical, patient, um, measured. So that way I don't make the same financial mistakes I made before and just um, silly mistakes that I've made before. Well, you on the right path, man. You on the right path, and so you are. I don't, so are you? So you're um, Latin, um, Latin American, or Hispanic, or yeah, my, my parents are from Puerto Rico. All right. So with you in the comic book industry, I'm sure you, I'm sure you've noticed it. Do you feel like minorities, such as um, like you know, Hispanic, Hispanics, age, well, not what well, Hispanics, Asians. And African Americans, do you feel like they are not pushed and promoted as much as their white counterparts? I think what happens is, and this is just my personal opinion, I think sometimes, um, I think it's an individual based. I think if you have the ability to con to connect with people on a personal level, likability is key. Um, you know, I always when I was in the corporate world, I would always teach my teams, you know, your smile goes a long way. When you walk into a room, are people going to light up when they see you? Or are they going to be apprehensive when they see you? It all depends on the, your posture, your face, your demeanor, the energy you bring to the environment. And I think what happens is sometimes, because we come from communities where our predecessors or, you know, our uncles or grandparents, whatever, they, they had it so hard, they ingrained in us that, and it built a chip that sh that you would not normally have put there because when I grew up, I didn't recognize anything other than because I grew up in a melting pot. I mean, my neighbor was Guyanese, my neighbor across the street was Jamaican, you know, other neighbor was Haitian. I had Salvadorians. I mean, it, it, so I didn't I didn't see any of that anything other than your 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 work ethic, um, your credibility. Um, do people trust you? Do people like you? And I think if you're, you're, I always say, put your, let your work speak for itself. So I remember, I'll give you the perfect example. <clears throat> when I went into, um, I didn't go to college until I was in my late 20s because my mom passed away and it was me taking care of my sister and my sister who had a child. She was you know, a teenager with a child and um, my grandma, who nobody wanted to deal with. So she was with us and my brother who was, you know, in and out of trouble. So I was working seven days a week, making $6 an hour. I remember walking into um, the security office, um, applying for a job. 
there was, my mom always told me it's about presentation. So I went to a, a place called MBO. They were having a closeout sale. And I went and got a suit. I got the suit for like 40 bucks because everything was like 70% off. So I walk into this place to fill out and ask for an application. There's about 40 other guys in there and everyone's in jeans and sneakers. And I knock on the window. They open up the window. They close the window. The door opens up. There's a tall man with salt and pepper hair that says, come on in. So everybody, you can hear them go, what? And they're all sitting there filling out the application. And it starts with the presentation. Now, mind you, I, don't, I didn't have college. Um, and I've been working since I was 12. So I go in. He asked me some questions. He goes, uh, when can you start? I said, I can start today. He says, well, how about tomorrow? I said, sure. He goes, we're going to send him to Saks Fifth Avenue. That was, that was, and they were a third-party agency providing a service for a retailer. Sent me downstairs to size me up. They gave me this corny-looking suit, which had itchy gray pants and this oversized blue blazer with these gold buttons. I went back to MBO. I barely had any money. I went back to MBO. I said, look, can I get a blazer that matches this color and a pair of gray dress pants that matches this, but I want the, the, the stuff tailored to my body. And I need a tie that matches this because they gave me a clip-on tie, so I can't wear a clip-on tie, right? So and then I showed up to my first day, on the, and there was like 40 other guys on a lineup. And there was the field supervisor. His name was Strickland. He was going down the line. And he goes, whoa, we gave you that suit? I said, no. <laughs> I said, no, <laughs> sir. And he's like, we're taking you. We're taking you, whatever. And they sent like 20, you know, 20, uh, 25 home, and, they, and, I, and I stood there. Then uh, within three months, I got hired by Saks Fifth Avenue. Um, and because it started with my presentation, then it became, then I proved to them my, that I, I fit in because of my work ethic. Saks, when I was a kid, was beyond my wildest dreams. You know, you see it in the movies, like, wow, that's where all the rich people are, blah, blah, blah. And so I was intimidated, but I didn't, I didn't let you, inside I was sweating and nervous, but outside I, I had a stone face, I was smiling, I was receptive, I was a sponge. You talked, I listened, I took notes, I applied, I outworked you. That was my my whole means. It was so. When they brought me into the office, wanted to offer me a job, they said, oh, "What's what do you want to do?" And I looked at the guy I was talking to. He was the director of security. He had this suit. I mean, he had a ten thousand dollars suit on, and he had this Rolex watch. And I'm like, "I want your job." And he looked at me. He's like, <laughs> he's like "How are you gonna do it?" And I said, "I'm gonna be the first one in, last one out." I said, "When you speak, I'm gonna listen. I'm gonna outwork everybody. I'm gonna make you need me." And he's like, "What?" And Every year I got promoted until I got to director level. Uh, well, damn. And that's just without, <laughs> without a college education. And it, and it was, it wasn't until it was up, I was getting ready for, to be for management when they said, well, you can't be a manager because you don't have a college degree. I went down the block. I signed up for school full time, which means I had to leave work at six o'clock because I was going from six to midnight. And I said, I can't work closing at nights because um, i'm going to school full-time i can work every weekend though like what do you mean you can't close i said you tell me i can't be a manager unless i have a college degree well i'm gonna get my college degree and so six <laughs> months later they promoted me oh wow man yeah. that, that is determination for that is real determination yeah, I attribute it to my, to, you know, my mom. It's like, don't let anybody define you. You define you. And um, whenever I saw an opportunity that I knew that I, would, I can do, um, I figured out how to make it happen. Some, you know, what, no matter how long it, it took. And I think that's, that's what helps me today. It's just stay grounded. Remember, everything that happens is based on the decision you make and the choice that you make. It's not anybody else. It's the choice that you make. So you can go left, you can go right. You can get angry. Um, you can pout. Or you can stand tall and work harder. You know what? I'm going to do that extra push-up. I, I, I don't, I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it. You know, I'm going to do that extra lap. I don't want to do it, but 
you know what? It's going to pay off in the end. Hey, man. Well, your mom put you on the right path. Shout out to all the moms out there that's supportive. And I know that your mom's smiling down on you right now because you're doing your thing. I hear you doing your thing. I must say. All right. So, okay. So I don't know if you keep up with all these superhero movies, but (laughs) we've gotten like, as far as, you know, minorities getting their own movies, you know, black people, we've got, we got black Panther, the the Asian community, they got Mm Shang-Chi. Now it seems like it's the, it's the Latino American side or, or the Latino side to get their own superhero. I don't know if you've heard, but um, HBO Max is going to be doing a Blue Beetle movie. And I don't know if you know about the character Blue Beetle, but he is, he's a Hispanic kid named Jaime Reyes who has a scarab, an alien scarab on his back that gives him basically a suit of armor, basically. Right. So do you feel like, like I'm kind of, I don't know if it's going to be in theaters, but it's going to HBO Max. Do you think it'll be just as successful as a Black Panther or a Shang-Chi? Um, I think it all depends on the people working on the film behind the scenes. If you love it, it'll show in the scene in the film and the people will love it too. But if you're doing it um, and you don't believe in the characters, you know, I think it's like, um, what's his name? Um, John Favreau who's working on all the Star Wars. He's a, he loves Star Wars. That's why it's so successful. You know, you have to, you know, when, um, um, what's his, what's his name? Um, Ryan Reynolds, uh, with Deadpool. Uh, he loved it. He pitched it. He wanted to do it. When you love it, then it'll shine through. So I don't think it has anything to do from my opinion. Like for instance, the, 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 the team working on Black Panther, they loved, they believed in it. They were inspired by it. That's why it was such a success and it emanated. Everyone loved it just as much. You got to love what you do for the world to embrace it. If you don't love it, it's just a job. The world's going to recognize that it's just a job and they're going to treat it as such. You know, if you're just looking at, and that's what, what I like about what's happening now with film is that creativity is shining. Before it was the corporate bureaucracy that was dictating what happens. That's why you saw a lot of failures. And I think if you leave, yes, if you leave the creators to do what they that you 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 brought them in for a reason, let them do their job. You know, you know, be quiet, sit <laughs> in the boardrooms, negotiate your worldwide distributions, but let the team that you that that you that were attracted to from the beginning do what they do best, and that's when it happens. So for me, it's just it, it all depends on on what who's working on it behind the scenes. Yeah, man, I just really hope that Blue Beetle does well because, like I said, we've seen a lot of representation, and I don't think I've not seen many Latino heroes on the big screen now that I think about it. So I think it's really huge, and I'm looking forward to it because, like I tell everybody, I'm a DC kid at heart. <laughs> I grew up on the Batman, the, uh, Batman the Animated Series, Batman Beyond, Static Shock. So I want to see DC succeed. But like you said, DC is more of the corporate side, while Disney is more of they let the creatives flourish. I don't know when DC will learn their lesson. It seems like they're getting it with with the Suicide Squad that came out last year and a lot of their other properties. So we'll see. 
So I got all the personal tough questions out of the way. Now let's have some fun. So you said that you were a Star Wars fan growing up. Yeah. Are you still a Star Wars fan, sir? I just finished watching uh, the book of Boba Fett. Oh, you mean the book of sand? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think, you know, so here's, yeah, as I was having this conversation, I think what happened was, <clears throat> you know, so what people don't know is that, because when they say, well, why did they, you know, why did they bring, have to bring in, um, um, damn, why am I lost for words? I was just looking at um, Peacemaker. Um, uh, I think what happens is that they screen every episode, right? When they first do it. Right. And they seen the re the reaction to the first ones that are reading the books, and they're not going to go spend any money. So that's why they had to go and and bring in the other characters because of the Mandalorian, because they realize number one, they made him soft, they made him a wuss. Um, you know, he wasn't Boba Fett that we grew up with. You know, the the and and so if it wasn't for his sidekick, if it wasn't for her, he'd be not, he'd be dead. You know, so I think they had to save save it, um, you know, and I, it, which is why everybody cheered when the Mandalorian show up and uh, then they bring in Gro Grogu. It's like, and you see Luke Skywalker, you know, so like they bring in all these casts to reinvigorate everyone's, the audience's attention um, because I think in the, it would just, uh, it started off the first episode, like, all right, this is going to be good. And then it's like, why is he so soft? <laughs> and I was like, yo, you're, yeah. you're Boba Fett, you know, it's like, so that was my opinion. Yeah, man. I just, I was even like, um, like when I saw the the original trilogy back in two thousand, I think it was like two thousand. My mom bought the VHS for me. When I saw Buffy, like, oh, this seems like like such a cool character. Yeah. Then, then when he died, I'm like, oh man, I wonder if there's more. So then my friends told me that there was actually comics and books on. Like, I started reading, like, oh, this is such a cool character. So me, like me learning that he was going to get his own show i was excited because i've read all of this media with boba fett and he's such a badass he's fought jedis he's he's like killed high value targets like i can't wait to see that so then i saw the show like oh just most of these episodes of you in the bathtub <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> i was like really yeah i know it was and then you know and then when they bring uh, you know cad bane i was like all right this is gonna rock you know um um it was just they needed to bring in all these other characters to salvage this this uh, what they screwed up on i think they 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 wanted to tell this you know you can't change the dna of the character i get it you get older you know, you slow down a bit, but you have to be the same. You have to have the same killer instincts. I mean, it, it, it didn't shine through until he got that last fight with Cad Bane. I'm like, really? You waited for this moment <laughs> for him to step up? Really? You know, it's like, you know, he lost all his best soldiers. I mean, everyone's getting their butts whipped. And this guy's like, oh, it's like, yo, you're Boba Fett. You're supposed to be the strategist. You're supposed to be the guy that's calculating, that shows up in the night when no one even knows that you're there. And, and you know, it's like, what the hell happened? Um yeah, so I think that was that was frustrating for me watching that. Um, you know, thank goodness for Suicide Squad because that stuff kept me entertained. Yeah, because and then not Suicide Squad. I mean, I mean, um, what are we talking about? The Mandalorian. No, um, what was I watching? Um, Peacemaker. Peacemaker. Oh yeah, yeah, he's yeah. hilarious. Yeah, man, like I just even in Boba Fett's own show, they even tell him nobody respects you. 
Yes. I'm, I'm like, okay, here's always been my problem with Kathleen Kennedy running Star Wars. You could tell that she does not understand Star Wars because, <laughs> because Boba Fett, the best, the great part about Boba Fett is that he was a he was mysterious. He was mysterious and he was uh he was a force. When right. you okay, it was cool that you humanize him. I like that, but when you just make him too human. And at, yeah. he's he's basically just an old man walking through sand. It's like you take away the mystique of Boba Fett. Yeah. Same, same. I, that's why I'm nervous about the Obi Wan Kenobi show because for one, it's a few well, years. I don't think they can screw that up. I mean, I mean, if you screw up Obi Wan Kenobi, you're done. It's like, come on, you know, he's like, I mean, I just, guy. I just don't trust Kathleen Kennedy because after <laughs> seeing this show. I'm like, oh man, because this is remember this is older Obi Wan, so this is why he's on Tatooine. So unless he had some adventures with the uh, with the um, Jawas or the or the Tuscan Raiders, I'm just I don't know about this show, and that's why I'm I'm tired of Star Wars staying in this era with the Skywalkers. They've already stated that they're doing high the High Republic. There's books. And there's a video game coming out in the High Republic. So why not focus on this new era of Star Wars instead of trying to capture nostalgia? I know nostalgia gives you business, but focusing too much on nostalgia can also hurt you. Because I'm sorry, the Mandalorian, I mean, see, I call the Mandalorian. The Book of Boba Fett was not, it, it was interesting until they brought in the characters from the Mandalorian and Luke Skywalker. And that that that's not a good sign. I know. So you say you've been watching Peacemaker. What do you think of the show Peacemaker? Because I am loving this show right now. Oh man, the Peacemaker. They think they 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 you know what I like about Peacemaker is that everything they're doing sh- should have been canceled 10 times over, right? Yeah, and, and, and they just break in the mold, which I love it. Um, it is the craziest, unexpected, um, it just of the, the stuff that comes out that guy's mouth is crazy. And it's like, I, I, I'm either yelling at the TV or I'm laughing out loud or I'm covering my eyes. I'm like, yo, this is, this is off the top. I think it's brilliant. I think the way they wrote it, I think all the characters complement each other. I think the plot twists are funny. It's corny and good at the same time. Yeah. I just, I love John Cena in that role. He is really catching his stride in the role and, the dude that plays vigilante those are my two favorite characters in the whole show <laughs> yeah yes yes um john cena definitely is mine um i like yeah him and his uh his uh, psychic um um what's his name um damn what's his name psychic well his hero's name is vigilante but his real like his uh his um I guess his secret identity is Adrian Chase. Yeah, Vigilante. I think he's awesome. I think that you know, they just balance each other. Um, it's just the right amount of goofy, corny, and fun. Um, you know, he's like the unexpected hero. Like, you know, it's like, you, you're not, he's not the first one in the Rolodex you're going to call. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, um, but it, 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 
and the, you know, it just seems like he's just a, a regular guy with a messed up upbringing that's messed up his perspective on life. And it takes some of these people um, in his life to help him find his true identity, his true purpose. Um, you know, the father was just on another level. It was just Ooh. crazy. Robert Patrick did such a good job because oh he he made me hate him. Yes. <laughs> he yes. made me hate him. that character so much. But I really do hope that DC is learning to let the creatives do their job because James Gunn, he is probably single-handedly saving what DC has right now. Yes. Like he is picking up the scraps that 2017 Suicide Squad and Justice League had left over after that whole horrible debacle. Just, I, I see good things in DC's future. Yeah, it's about time. They're a little late to the dance. It's a, yeah, yeah, definitely yeah. about time, you know, because they, they, you know, how many times are you gonna tell the same Superman story over and over again? Yeah. Like, really, guys? And them damn pearls and Batman. If I see the bitches, <laughs> if I see them bitches drop one more time. <laughs> I'm like, you know, you're killing me, DC. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, the best thing that happened to Marvel was Disney. Yeah, man. I, to be honest, the best thing about, the best thing that happened to Marvel was Sony stupidly um, declining buying Marvel, um, those, those properties. Yes. Because Sony could have been sitting on a gold mine right now, but they made the wrong decision and well, Disney profited yeah, from it. Disney is an environment where they understand the the, the creativity of the, the talent that they have. And I think one of the things that um, made was also a great uh, learning, I think, for Disney is when Steve Jobs um, purchased Pixar and basically said to them, you do what you do best. I'll deal with the corporate stuff you do. I don't know. I don't know what you're doing, but I know that you do great work. Do what you do best. You tell me what you need from me. That's what good leadership is. And then when he sold it to Disney, when they realized the quality of work that Pixar was producing through that guidance, where they had carte blanche to do what they, an open checkbook to just have fun. You know, I think that also helped when they acquired them, they acquired Lucas, they acquired Marvel. They were just taking everything and having fun and letting the creators have fun. Yeah, man, that mouse, that mouse keep bringing me in with all these shows. Yeah. That mouse know how to get my attention. Yeah. So, okay, so I got to ask, are you, are you DC or Marvel? Which one do you strive more towards? See, <clears throat> I'm a big independent guy. Um, and when I grew up, I started reading Sergeant Rock, G.I. Joe, um, and then Spider-Man. Um, and... I collected um, Justice League for a little bit, and then I moved on to the X titles, X-Factor, X-Force, X-Men, Excalibur. I mean, I was just all over, and I just became a Marvel guy. And then when Image came, I left both DC and Marvel, and I went straight Image. Um, and uh, so now I'm just, uh, I follow Todd McFarlane as Spawn, um, and, um, and then I read just a lot of, unknown independence from here and there um uh, so yeah so growing up i mean I, I still have all my books so growing up you know started off dc moved over to marvel then went over with image and then um now it was just uh and i'm just a big spawn guy i love spawn so you said you read you read image comics so 
Have you ever read Invincible? Yeah, yeah. That was my one of my first um um I actually met Robert Kirkman because we were both managed by the same company. Um I have all of the um I have the first few volumes of the the book and uh, um and I remember when Invisible was going over to MTV and that didn't work out. Um yeah, yeah. and then when it went over to uh um uh, Prime, yeah um uh, I think they rushed the series too fast. They dropped, they, they put too much in too soon. They didn't build it up where you can actually decide who which character you're gonna love. You know, I think every everything was just straight up action and shock factor. Um, uh, where if you read the story, it's it's, it's more paced out. Uh, I think they just try to fit so much stuff too fast into it. Okay, well, I don't. Yeah, I will say the I get. The show to me did a great job of still pacing the story, and also, like, like I, I like I read I read the Invisible comics way back then, and I when I somebody told me that Invisible was getting the show, like what it's Invincible, and then so when I watched the show, it's kind of cool how they um, it's kind of cool how they still follow the main story. But all the little side plots, they still do them, but they're out of order. Yeah, and I think, you know, I mean, I like the fact that they kept the look the same, right? Yeah. So it's easy, recognizable, you, you know, it's translatable. Um, I thought, I mean, the quality, the production was great. I just felt that they it, it was sped up um, too fast, where when you're introducing a new brand to a whole new audience, um, I think you want to, they could have done a lot more playing up the son, the, you know, the family, let the audience pick who they're going to love, who they're going to hate, all this stuff. I think everything was just rushed. It just felt like it was just, it took all those books and it fast forwarded, uh, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I feel like, I feel like they kind of have to, they kind of had to because the way that these streaming platforms, how, how like they're, how they're structured now, because now on the streaming platforms, a lot of these shows and seasons, a lot of these shows and seasons are like eight to nine episodes long, which for me, I don't mind because the CW has burnt me out of 20 episode long seasons because it's mostly filler. Right. <laughs> like if, if, if you ever listen to my podcast, you will hear my utter disdain <laughs> for the CW Arrowverse shows. Like. <laughs> But yeah, man, it's just, it's so crazy how many independent comics have been made in the TV shows and movies. Like, it'd be like, when I first started, um, when I first started reading Invincible, I never thought it would get a TV show for Wolf of Ones because it's too damn violent. And then um, The Walking Dead is, is another example. Um, there's something else I'm, I'm missing another one. Why the Last Man? I didn't think that would ever get a, a TV show, and I think the network decided that was a bad idea because they canceled after one season. But it's just so crazy how much comic book media is being put on the silver screen and the big screen. Yeah, I mean, I think it was a it's a matter of time. I mean, I mean, you got to think about it. I mean, Marvel and DC combined are sitting on a treasure trove of characters for for decades. You know, and then now then take on the smaller companies 
that you know the ideas are coming out of nowhere so right now the streaming platforms are all fighting to get content and uh so it's a great opportunity for the independent creators to go out there and um, get noticed and get their stuff picked up um you know so i think that there's no better time than now uh and while while that that train is hot to go out there and put on your game face and hustle yeah yeah true true there true there so I'm about like we're about to get out here in a little bit, but I gotta ask you one question that I always ask all of my interviewees. All right, you ready? I'm ready. All right, so I always give people the Mount Rushmore question. So, so what would be your Mount Rushmore for inspirational people in your life? Remember, that's four people, so somebody gonna get left out. The four people of inspiration for me. My mom was the biggest one. Um, Can't leave her was, out. Can't leave her. My mom was the biggest inspiration in my life. Um, I think Sylvester Stallone. Um, really? Yes. If you know his story, um, homeless, um, made some poor choices, had to do porn to make money to, he had to sell his dog. Um, and, you know, sold it, you know, he would not, he got somebody to pick up the screenplay, but he would, he, did, he had to direct it and he had to star in it. Um, um, and, uh, he had to do it on his terms and he fought his way to the top. And, um, you know, this is an underdog and, you know, it's the, it's the hero's story. Um, and, uh, I mean, whatever he touches turns to gold and, um, you know, it's because he was true to himself and he understood his purpose. Um, same thing with Will Smith. Um, Will Smith, I think it's a, is a tremendous inspiration of someone who's a master craftsman, someone who understood who he is and what he's becoming and, and continues to still learn and identify flaws within him and things that he still has to work towards. Um, you know, the humility, you know, the, the, the fearlessness, you know, I mean, for me, the, you know, those, those gentlemen are just, uh, you know, just beyond. And then I think that the other one's going to be Oprah for me. I've always wanted to meet her. Me and my mom used to watch Oprah all the time, you know, before she passed. And, you know, I would, I remember telling my mom, I said, one day I'm going to meet her. One day I'm going to meet her. Um, and it was just her story. It, it's, it went, she faced so much adversity and, and the challenges of being a woman, of being a black woman, um, going into media and broadcast and figuring out how to do it on her terms and then creating an empire. Um, and that would be the four. Um, but uh, if I had to add a five, it'd be Tyler Perry. Um, you know, for me, you know, when I look at, I mean, these people, they're trendsetters. They open doors, they pave ways for people, um, you know, and uh, they, they are the prototype of what it means to stand tall by your own convictions, have integrity, work hard, and don't settle for anything that's going to contradict who you are, your identity, and your purpose. Right. Yeah, and what's so crazy is um, my first interview, I put him on my list. And it's funny because if anybody listens to my podcast or knows me, they know I hate Tyler Perry movies. <laughs> I love Medea. Are you crazy? Uh, I'm looking forward to the next one. Are you crazy? <laughs> I I hate his movies, but, <laughs> but I'm so entertained by them because oh, they, are, they are so bad that they're funny. <laughs> All of them 
fake wigs oh, and the and the invisible people the people eating invisible food and oh, drinking invisible water. So, so like crazy, I love it. So like <laughs> I love the movies too, but for a completely wrong reason. Because <laughs> you best believe I'm going to watch that Tyler Perry Medea origin story because whenever Tyler Perry tries to be serious, it is the most hilarious thing in the world to me. Yes. But but he's always been interested to me, just like like how you said what he came from and what he is now. Like this man is a billionaire now. Yes. So I gotta he his own studio. I gotta respect the I gotta respect the hustle. Yeah. I gotta respect the hustle. But man, this was an awesome interview. I had so much fun talking to you, man. Same here. Thank you. So where can the people find you at and what are you working on now? So you can find me at uh, my website's iCreateStories.com. Um, so uh, you can go there. It has everything um, from my podcast to my books um, to where I'm going to be as far as conventions. Um, right now I'm working on Disneyland in my toilet on Kickstarter. It launches next Tuesday. Uh, the landing page is active. Um, you can sign up and the launch. We're having a launch party at 7.45 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on my podcast, Cast to Craze. It'll be live. We're going to have a special celebrity guest. It's going to be crazy. Um, I'm hoping it goes viral because it's going to be crazy. Uh, so that's going to be there. And um, um, and then I'm gearing up. The, the first convention I booked for this year is the Dallas Comic Con, uh, the Fan Expo in July, in June. And uh, so that's the first one right now that I've booked for this year. I'm working on the rest of the year. Um but yeah, and then my podcast is Catch the Craze with a D-A, not a T-H-T, uh, T-H-E. So it's Catch the Craze uh, on YouTube. And um, my hashtag for anywhere on social media, doesn't matter whether you're on Reddit, TikTok, you know, Facebook, Twitter, it's Catch the Craze. Okay, cool, man. So, yeah, man, we I will definitely have to have you back on again because this was really fun. This was really Thank fun. Thank but, you. But like, but like, but like, um... All the other podcasts, y'all, you know where to find me at bringthepopcorn93 at gmail.com. And if you want to join the conversation, you can go to the Facebook group that is facebook.com slash bringthepopcorn. And Samuel, it's been a pleasure. Everybody, I hope you guys enjoyed this interview. But remember, when you always come to these reviews and interviews, just remember to always bring the popcorn. All right, Sam, you have a good night, man. Thank you, buddy.